0: Welcome back to In the Queue film conversations with Andrew and Phil. I am Phil, your co-host, and Foxcatcher was my most eagerly anticipated film this
1: year. Oh yeah? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah, no, I understand that. Yeah. I can completely understand that. I am your co-host Andrew, and my wrestling career ended slightly less <laughs> tragically, but tragically nevertheless. <laughs> I would say slightly
0: less tragically is an understatement
1: in this case. <laughs> um, oh, maybe. But maybe I did break my nose. Oh no, that's well, that's yeah. pretty bad. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was. I hard. had a. I
0: was wrestling in in junior high. We all had to wrestle at least um, a couple times, and I I, ran, I won my first round, but my second round I I lost miserably.
1: So you didn't stick with it for a long time. I I wrestled through the whole year you know
0: no, I mean it was just like it was required for gym class it wasn't like a extra it was just like a thing. one-time thing Well, it was like there was a tournament and everybody participated but it's not like there was like a wrestling club like some people do I guess yeah I got so yes Foxcatcher is a film that deals partly with wrestling and some larger themes as well I think it uses wrestling as a way to deal with some greater uh, oh, topics yeah. and and sort of situations. Um, we're going to talk all about this movie in just a second. First, we want to tell you about where you can find us on the web. If you go to our blog at www.in-the-q that's the letter Q, com, you will find all of our episodes. You can listen to any of them and all of them if you have the time and the inclination. You can also leave comments for us uh, if you want to communicate ideas for Movies you would like us to review or you just want to engage some people in discussion, you can do it there. It's true. You can also do the same thing on our Facebook page. Just do a search for In the Q, Q Q-U-E-U-E, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. You'll find our shows. You can comment. And then we also post supplemental videos and things like that that have to do with the shows that we're doing at that particular time. Yep. All factual no lies yet no no, lies <laughs> yet. <laughs> no i'm not gonna lie but to prepare you prepare yourself i'm not gonna lie to you it's kind of like uh do you ever see f is for fake the orson wells movie
1: i still haven't seen that no
0: okay well then i won't say anything because i don't want to spoil it
1: yeah don't ruin right. an orson wells movie film.
0: i won't that's his that's a good it's a pretty good film one of his last films if not his very last yeah 1970s and then lastly you can find us on itunes just do a search for in the queue q-u-e-u-e film conversations with andrew and phil you can subscribe to all of our shows they will be delivered to you just like every other podcast is delivered
1: <laughs>
0: for free and yep. uh as soon as they come out and what could be better Nothing. nothing nothing is better than that nothing, nothing. So, Foxcatcher is a new film by Bennett Miller, the director, who has won a lot of accolades for directing this film. Uh, the film has also won accolades for some of its performances. It is based on a true story about uh, a wrestler, Mark Schultz, and his brother, Dave, who won gold medals in 1984 at the Olympics, which I believe was in Los Angeles at that time. It was, yeah. yes. And, um, but then, you know, after a couple of years... Dave has started a family. he's 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 made a life for himself, and Mark is kind of still sort of a lone wolf who's out trying to sort of make a living as somebody who won a gold medal, basically. And he doesn't have a lot going for him. And then out of the blue, he hears from a messenger of sorts for John DuPont, who is yeah. the sort of eccentric, reclusive millionaire heir of the DuPont family fortune. And John DuPont takes an interest in Mark. He's obviously aware that Mark Schultz won a gold medal. And he decides that he wants to assemble a team of wrestlers for the upcoming Olympics in Seoul, Korea, in 1988. So this movie sort of starts a few years before that, um, in between 84 and 88. Um, DuPont basically brings Mark Schultz to his compound, his, his ranch or his, whatever's his villa, whatever you want to call it, Estate. Mm-hmm. estate, I think, is the right term.
1: Estate would probably be a, yeah. an appropriate term. And yeah. the
0: estate is called Foxcatcher, which is what the name of the film is from. Uh, we can talk about the significance of that. Um, <laughs> we can. We can. And um, so Mark sort of falls under the tutelage of John DuPont, who also is interested in Mark's brother Dave. And uh, we'll sort of leave it at that for now, as far as what happens Um, This is a true story, so the the events are out there if you really want to find out what happened. But part of the fun, of course, of watching a film is being surprised and just sort of seeing how things unfold for the the first time. So, okay. Like I said, Foxcatcher was really high on my list of films that I really wanted to see. And I was excited about it. And it was getting a great rating on Metacritic and Rotten Tomatoes. And, and that's always encouraging for a movie that you want to see in the first place. But I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't judge you know if the film was any good based on that or based on the IMDb rating. I just took this film for what it was. Everybody in this film is a good actor. Um, all the major characters, I mean, Unquestionably, they're, all, yeah. they're all played by great actors. And they do their roles very well. Um, I think Channing Tatum is really underappreciated for his work as Mark Schultz in this movie. Uh, mm-hmm. It seems like all the accolades are going to Steve Carell and Mark Ruffalo for their performances, and they 're great, but I think Channing Tatum he holds the movie together. I mean, oh yeah, he just he really is kind of like the heart of the film because because we see Mark Schultz really does care about something. And that's wrestling. And he, he wants to be the best wrestler he can be. There's a great scene where um, he basically has a meltdown in his hotel room after losing a match in the um, the qualifying finals.
1: Really great scene. Yeah, yeah. for the
0: Olympics. And uh, uh, he's beating himself up, literally. And he um, he just goes apeshit, basically, and, and crashes into a mirror repeatedly and... And those are all actual real things that Channing Tatum did. Like he was actually in the moment, in in character when he broke that mirror, and it's one of the most remarkable moments of the film. Um, Steve Carell is fine as John Dupont, I think, but I think he's being over congratulated in the role um, because we're used to seeing him as a comedian.
1: Uh, yeah i i would I would agree to some extent on both of these. Uh-huh. Uh, points. I mean, I think Channing Tatum is actually he, he's very impressive in this film. Yeah, and and I think that it, it might get lost a little bit because I, I think people may not be talking about it as much because he plays kind of a meathead. Yeah, kind of a kind of a a simple meathead character, mm-hmm. right? And and uh, and it seems like he 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 doesn't have as much to play with in terms of emotion and, and sort of the, the the breadth of experience that maybe some of the other characters do. Although I would say most of the characters in this film operate on a pretty even keel uh-huh. through most of the film um, and in only very uh, specific circumstances do they really show their emotional hand, if you will. Yeah. And, um, and I think that Channing Tatum really does an excellent job of, of having a very subtly nuanced performance and I think that this is a testament to Bennett Miller's direction mm-hmm. uh, that, that the the subtle nuances of his performance really are excellent I mean they're they're very they're very spot-on uh, moments of transition that that really show you how he starts to feel differently about individual characters mm-hmm. that he's connected to. And I think it's actually a very impressive performance. Yeah, I think,
0: I mean, he's he's been good consistently in, in the roles that he's had. And Channing Tatum has, has gotten an opportunity with Foxcatcher to sort of take it to the next level. And I think he has. And it would be interesting to see what he does next. Ho- hopefully yeah. it's not 23 Jump Street.
1: But, well, I mean, for for that kind of movie, I mean, he's... He, he kills it, you know, I mean, like he, he does, he does a good job just because it might be, not be the kind of movie that you're uh, necessarily as into. I, I think he actually fits those roles quite well. I actually haven't seen either of the Jump Street films, but
0: um, maybe I'm just being a little bit snobbish about this. <laughs> I'm sure, <laughs> maybe. I mean, Jonah Hill's a good actor too, so. It's true, um, it's true. And, then sort of, and they're just having fun. Yeah. yeah, that's right. It's just a goof. Yeah. Um, Mark Ruffalo also he rounds out the the triumvirate of uh, the main cast members and uh, he's great as usual he has always he has kind of a... Always. his his part is a little bit it's harder than he makes it look you know like he he is fulfilling a very particular role in this movie uh, but he almost he he's supposed to be the kind of the the, the more charismatic of the Schultz uh, duo. Um, and he really looks out for his younger brother. He really loves him. And I was just gonna say the um, the best scene in the film involves Mark Ruffalo. For my money, it's not you know, it's not really a terribly dramatic scene. But I'm gonna say what it is now. This is a, this okay. a bit of a spoiler I, for you guys who haven't seen the film. But it's not gonna really change your enjoyment of the movie. You might even enjoy it even more now that I've pointed you to it. But It's the scene where Mark, I'm sorry, not Dave, Mark, Mark Ruffalo's character, Dave and uh, John DuPont have basically had a bit of a a confrontation and there's some friction Uh going on. And John DuPont is such an insular, eccentric millionaire that he's been having his film crew document the preparations of Team Foxcatcher in lieu of, you know, to get ready for the Olympics. And this this filmmaker is interviewing Dave and he wants Dave to basically, you know, parrot out all of these superlatives about how John DuPont yes. is a very inspiring coach. And yeah. and, you know, and how do how do you really feel about him? And of course he's supposed to say that he's he's inspiring and he's an inspiration to him and and that he's he's been his mentor. Exactly, that's it. Yeah, he's his mentor. And Dave Schultz is a he's a brilliant wrestler. He's a brilliant wrestling coach. He knows the sport in and out. And John Dupont is basically just imitating him to the rest of the team. And and this really shows Dave Schultz's integrity because he cannot bring himself to say these words about John Dupont. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and for anybody who's who's been in. TV news or documentary you know that the most uncomfortable part of interviewing somebody is when they're not when they don't have the words when they, they don't know what to say and there's dead air and and Dave Schultz, he's not the kind of person to just fill dead air and we really see that about him in this scene because he's really struggling because he can't bring himself to praise John DuPont on those terms because John DuPont yeah. is not his mentor and, and Dave Schultz can't bullshit that and it just really it was a very kind of revealing look at the character that mark ruffalo created and you could just see on his face the the inner conflict about what what am i supposed to say what do they want me to say and what do i feel comfortable saying
1: it's an extraordinary uh performance that that moment yeah ruffalo's performance in that moment is is I I would agree. Probably the (laughs) highlight of the entire film. Like it's, it's so great. Yeah. Uh, it is. And, and you had mentioned before we started this, that there was one scene that was your favorite in the film and it featured Mark Ruffalo. And I was like, it's gotta be that. scene. You knew it already. (laughs) I knew it because it's so good and it is so compelling. Um, and so, uh, revelatory about his character. Yeah. You know, um, not that we didn't already know this by that point in the film, about him, but to see him stick to his guns essentially and not be willing to say this BS, right. you know, it, it was really inspiring. Um, yeah, because you, you or I—I I mean, maybe not you or
0: I specifically—but but a lot of people would just toe the line and say, "Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, John Dupont, is a very inspiring guy. He's my mentor." Yeah, cash the check and walk away. Right. But that—that's where we start to get into sort of like the greater themes of the film because. Mm-hmm. You know the his dedication to the sport and his dedication to you know his love of the sport and his willing and his desire I guess not willingness but desire to just lead a simple life mm-hmm. uh, and he his contentedness at leading that simple life are all manifested in this in this this worldview that he has mm-hmm. and uh, and John Dupont exists in a different world he exists in a world of privilege he exists in a world of severe class division Mm -hmm. um and uh and mark is essentially trapped between these two worlds Mm -hmm. because he's always lived in his brother's shadow and he wants to be a part he wants he aspires to greater things but he doesn't have the sort of natural as you said charisma Mm -hmm. or natural ability to just sort of do what his brother does right and so he appropriates these kind of uh metrics of success that are dictated by the sort of ruling class right yeah and and that's where he gets messed up because john dupont no more cares for or understands wrestling than mark schultz cares for or understands the world that john dupont comes from yeah they're, they're almost at loggerheads, but they're tr- they're pretending to work uh, with each other because both of them are dealing with very uh, intense familial issues of one kind or another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then and then you can extrapolate that out to sort of more greater societal issues and kind of class divisions and class uh, struggles. But, uh, you no, know... It, I th- that's, you really opened it up. You really
0: opened up the film. And I think that the... Uh, you've extrapolated the themes that are kind of like in the film, but they're not necessarily being telegraphed to the audience. It's kind of like if you, if you want to deal with this really dark, somber, slowly paced film, you've got to basically analyze it and see it for the tragedy that it is. You've got to see the different Mm -hmm. elements of the tragedy with each person who is affected. And, uh, and as you know, as, as these listeners know, this is a true story. Um, while talking about Foxcatcher uh, after the fact is is interesting and and it makes it a more satisfying experience, I couldn't help but feel like the filmmakers botched an attempt to tell a really interesting, compelling story. Um, yes, the themes would would still be there either way. But Foxcatcher as a as a piece of drama, I think, could have been much more involving and more engaging if they maybe tried some different methods at telling the story. There's a couple of different things that kind of make me scratch my head about how the screenwriters and the director decided to tell the story. I'll go ahead and say a spoiler alert for those of you who haven't seen the film and, and don't want to have it spoiled for you. Um, I'm just going to talk about a couple couple things
1: that have to do with the uh, the concluding scenes in Foxcatcher. Um, well, can, do you mind if we we talk a little bit about a couple of mm. uh, like in, in what you're talking about in sort of the the way that this film is put together, the way that it is paced? Uh-huh. Um, I, I think I, I'd I'd like to talk about a couple of those broad things sure. before we get into the real spoilers. Okay. Um, and and one of the interesting decisions that I found that affected this kind of pacing and the way that the the film unfolds is the choice by Bennett Miller to use almost no scoring whatsoever in this film. Yeah,
0: that's right. And that's there's, that's not even something that I noticed until you brought it up, actually.
1: Yeah, it it, it actually kind of, I mean, there's so much heavy dead air in this film. <laughs> Uh, like even in transitions between scenes, they don't they don't play little snippets of the score or anything. Occasionally, I mean, there's a few points in the film, and I'd actually be curious to go back to the film and f- look at what those points are mm-hmm. to see if there there's actually a, an additional level of significance to those. There's music
0: in the opening montage of the film, but uh, but yes. I can't looking back, I can't recall you
1: know, any other moments that are they're being underlined to be particularly dramatic. I think there's only maybe two other points that I can think of where there was a a musical a, a non-diegetic musical cue that happened in the film and everything else was within the film. Yeah. Uh, you know which which wasn't that much music you know in the diegetic world either. Although they did uh, play Fame by David Bowie which was pretty interesting. <laughs> they did. They did, which was interesting and probably a further comment on yeah, the the aspirations or the societal pressures, whatever uh, you want to say. I mean, it, it's, it's actually, I think a pretty rich film in terms of the, the content. Um, but I do think that you're, you're right. I mean, like partially this choice of no music and, and just uh, having these very, very long conversational scenes, um, very static camera. Yeah. Almost always uh, very long takes. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of these things serve, uh, to to draw out the drama and and I do think that there are points at which it seems like it 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 doesn't succeed as it's not as powerful as maybe it could be and i I, I don't know whether to attribute that to the the drawn out uh the sort of legato pacing of this film mm-hmm. um or whether it, it's maybe just a, a failure of the the script or 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 a, or a Uh, an editing yeah. sort of, I think, I think this film,
0: I, we actually, Andrew, have a mutual friend who, who worked on this movie or, and had some exposure to the, um, the process, Steve Ferris. Um, Oh, from, from we, we all went to film school together. Steve actually completed his studies and now he works in LA. (laughs) Uh, but not, not that we're not doing fine on our own. We're doing fine. But Steve he actually, I talked to him a little bit online and he actually cut the second teaser spot, uh, oh, yeah. which is which is great. I mean, he did a great job. And he, he actually mentioned that he was proud of the film Foxcatcher as if it had come a long way and said that he had four previous versions of the movie in his office. And I remember people talking about this movie back in 2013 as being... Yeah. It was going to be like Steve Carell versus Matthew McConaughey, at the Oscars. So I think this film has been edited and re-edited for a while now, and they were trying to to quote unquote find the story. And I yeah. think I think they found it as best they could. But um, the camera is static. I feel like they they had good setups though with the where, where they did put the camera. Um, yep. I thought that they put it in, in good places to to get the right amount of of detachment but also emotion or whatever emotion was mm-hmm. in
1: the scene um you want to want to talk about something else before we do spoilers or no just just real quick quick hopping to that this was actually a film that was probably of everything of any, any film that i've ever seen this had the largest cross-section of people that i actually know who worked on it <laughs> because when i was working at company three company three colored the film and the colorist i of course i knew and then i knew everybody on that yeah Crew, and then I also knew somebody who worked on the visual effects for the film who, who I went to high school with. So it's a very large cross section of people uh, that I know that worked on this film. And they're and, all uh, going to listen
0: to this podcast and be so
1: oh, disappointed in this Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. We, let's uh, let's give that spoiler alert so that we can cover these uh, last couple of points. And and right, uh, yeah. and this everybody. If you if you are not interested in in having any of the content of this film spoiled, please turn off the podcast now and join us for our next one. But, uh, please go ahead. Okay.
0: So what happens? The, the central tragedy of this film is John DuPont kills Dave Schultz. He shoots him dead three times. And, um, basically this, this killing happens very close to the end of the film. Makes Zero dramatic sense. Um, Now, we all know this is what happened in real life. John DuPont did shoot uh, Dave Schultz, but in the film it comes out of nowhere. Um, John DuPont is portrayed as being an eccentric, but this just completely surprises and makes basically no lick of sense. And another thing that happens... Interesting. Another thing that happens uh, regarding the scene is that the, the shooting takes place in 1996 in real life. And you're that's like eight years after the Olympics. Or no, yeah, eight years after the Olympics in Seoul. And time is just kind of eclipsed in a very surprising way that I feel like there could have been more buildup to, to the events surrounding
1: Dave's murder. Well, yeah, there was actually an interesting sort of anachronistic thing in this film that I haven't... <clears throat> I haven't looked at it and researched, but I thought was a little bit unusual. And that's when they when they were living at Foxcatcher and they were training for the Soul Games. Mm-hmm. There was a sequence where all of the wrestlers were sitting around watching a UFC fight. Yes. Like an early UFC fight. I don't remember the UFC being in existence in 1988. Now, maybe I'm crazy. Maybe it was perfectly well in existence. Uh, but I, I remember I don't the UFC crazy. being kind of a, a 90s phenomenon. Yeah, I don't think
0: it was around before 1990
1: yeah and and so that i i found that to be like a weirdly anachronistic thing but but I, i saw the the purpose that it served in the context of the the movie especially with kind of the coda at the end of this film yeah uh it it actually was very kind of a poignant and and very moving uh and sad coda yeah but uh but it did, it did strike me as odd. It's, it just confuses yeah. you. It confuses you because you're,
0: you're, this movie is so tied to duration and, and time period. You know, you're preparing for the 88 yeah. Olympics. And we're all we're focused on that, on that number, 1988. And then it just kind of gets messed with. Uh, but to me, the, the most egregious disappointment in terms of how they handled the story is after John DuPont shot Dave... He went back to his compound and he stayed there in his giant home and did I don't know, but he just stayed in there and there was a police standoff that lasted over twelve hours outside of his home. I mean there was like You're
1: talking in, in the real life story. In real
0: life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were forty armed, you know armed policemen outside of his home waiting for him. They could they could like they knew he was in there. They didn't know what he was doing. And that to me is a is a situation that could have been so tense and so fascinating to sort of, and also cathartic in a, in a way. Um, and these are these are things that could have made Foxcatcher a compelling thriller, but I don't think that they were going for that. I think that they were going for a more meditative tragedy.
1: Yeah, I think they were going for the meditative tragedy and the greater commentary. I think it was more interested in sort of the the larger social commentary than it was in the... Uh, the actual suspense, I guess trappings of suspense. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't uh, it. I, I think it was sort of defiantly unconventional. Um, and, and while I would usually say that's a great thing, I I'm just not sure that it worked quite as well in this film. I don't dislike this film. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I don't, I don't think that it's a bad film by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Uh and I think it's a fascinating subject matter. And I actually think that I will return to this at some point to uh further unpack what I think is there. Mm-hmm. Um but I don't know when that's gonna be. And I, I you know it's 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 an unusual film. If if anything, I what would compel me to come back to it are the performances.
0: You know, I think Channing Tatum's performance will definitely keep me coming back. I, I I feel like I got Steve Carell. I got him. I, I saw what he can do with that giant prosthetic nose, and and all that makeup, yeah. and he was good. And Mark Ruffalo was very good too. But Channing Tatum, it's almost like he he has a rise and fall in this film. And to to see him from the beginning before he knows what his fall is going to be, will kind of add the, a layer of poignancy to his performance. Um, and I, yeah. I I also think that the direction. And the sort of the underlying meaning behind every single shot, there's something there. I think that there's something to to get that 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 caused Bennett Miller to win Best Director at Cannes and be nominated for Best Director at the Oscars. I think that um, I feel like there is there is subtext that it's pithy. It's something that you can you can get more out of the more you watch it. I just sort of feel like it wasn't what I expected. And maybe seeing it again knowing what this movie actually is, uh I'll be able to appreciate it more and I, and it's not it's I don't it's not that I don't appreciate it, you know, kind of like you Andrew, but um it just maybe it just it was a situation where it wasn't quite what I expected.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I would say that in this I'm actually not surprised that it wasn't nominated for as many awards as some people expected it to be mm-hmm. uh, at the Oscars, uh, because it, you know it's this is a a film about obsessive men, which is a you know a favorite topic of the cinema in general, yeah, uh, and certainly a favorite topic this year at the at the at, in the awards. I mean, Birdman, Whiplash, The Theory of Everything, Imitation Game, American Sniper, Nightcrawler. Like these are all movies that are about obsessive men. Yeah. You know, like like deeply sort of almost all consumingly obsessive and ambitious men. And uh and somehow a lot of those movies, and especially some of the ones that we've talked about before, movies like Nightcrawler and Whiplash were just, you know, so enthralling and so absorbing and just sweep you up in the in the kind of idiosyncrasies and obsessions of their mm-hmm. of their protagonists and this film it almost felt like we were passive observers of of a the unfolding of of events at a very slow pace yeah which which i i don't i'm not saying that as a a, a detraction i'm not saying that that is inherently a bad thing but for some reason uh as good as this movie was it, it didn't work Mm-hmm. For me, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I think uh, a movie should definitely exist on a symbolic or an intellectual level, but it's got to have an emotional level of some kind too to really sustain the 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 viewing.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: So, I think uh, Foxcatcher is not in my top five for sure, but uh, yeah, it was still still I think an important film to see to really complete your viewing experience for the year.
1: Yeah, and I think that it's a very interesting. Uh, Addition to Bennett Miller's filmography, I think that he's a very, very interesting director mm-hmm. and has has made really, really interesting films so far. And I'm very curious to see what he does next. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's our conversation about Foxcatcher. Please join us in our next episode when we will be talking about The Imitation Game. Yes, none other than film about Alan Turing. And breaking the Enigma code in World War II. Mm -hmm. Starring Um, Benedict Cumberbatch. Yes, the much beloved Benedict Cumberbatch. So please join us for that episode and we will catch you next time.